Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, that name fully verified and activated upon this season. Joining me, as always, I've got Nick and Dan. Dan, you have finally landed back home, feet on the ground. Welcome back. It feels good. You know, it feels like I'm I'm where I belong, Nick, and that's uh, that's an important thing. Yes, uh, after a holiday full of uh, merriness and drinking and all the all the things, uh, it's it's kind of good to get back into a regular routine. And we have a special one today, Brandon, um, as we as we kind of do what we normally do. Uh, around this time of year, and that's kind of tackle some midseason review. I know, right? And obviously, to do that, we bring in the experts. This episode is all about the Youth Academy at Chelsea, and who better than to bring in at Chelsea Youth, Phil himself. Welcome back, Phil. Hi, guys. A belated Happy New Year to you. I hope everything's been going well. I hope life's treating you good. Well, as good as we probably deserve. So <laughs> with that being said, just to give you guys a, an idea of what you're in for this episode is we, we're going to do a two-part, right? So part one, we've got the U18s. And then part two, the next episode, we'll get into the U23s, also known as the PL2 side and break them down because there's a lot. So we wanted to give the appropriate amount of time and space to each of them. But selfishly, Phil, before we jump into the U18s, I have to ask, what have your thoughts been of our Chelsea DNA series? Obviously, we got to interview Bobby Tambling, 
Mason Mount, Fakao Tomori, and Aaron Cuthbert. Two of those, well, technically three of those, were born and bred in Chelsea's academy. What do you think? It's 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 such a good time to touch on that subject because it's it's the direction the club's been moving back to this season, trying to find an identity. And it's really good to hear everybody's different perspectives on what makes Chelsea Chelsea. And Mason and Fikayo, they they're very up to date. They're modern. They talk about the modern era, but the the DNA of Chelsea it goes it goes all the way back to Tambling. It goes all the way back to inception. So it's. It's, it's a really, really good project. Awesome. We are so glad to hear that uh, from some of yourself and appreciate the uh, the social media love you've given it. But let's go ahead and move in right away to part one, the U18 team. Uh, Dan, go ahead. Let's set this up a little bit with the, the current table, which was updated on the 4th of January. Right. So in the South Division, so we have uh, Chelsea on top, 30 points. That would be after nine wins, three draws, and no losses. 35 goals for, 16 goals against, followed by Fulham on 27, West Ham 24, Brighton 23 points, uh, Tottenham at 5th. So uh, mirroring their league form there in the Premier League, 16 points. Leicester at 15 in 6th place. Reading, 7th place, 14 points. Southampton, 8th place, 13 points. Villa, ninth place, 11 points. Arsenal, 10th with 10 points. <laughs> Norwich with 11 place with 7 points. And then Swansea with 5 points in 12th place. All right. So, as we can tell, Chelsea at the top of the table, Arsenal near the bottom, Spurs in the middle. I guess, Phil, right away, as we jump into this, is this where we thought Chelsea would be at this point? I mean, they had a new coach. Kind of walk us through your expectations of Chelsea and where they are on the table. Uh, I mean, from a personal perspective, I expected Chelsea to be back at the top. They've got enough talent, especially with the the group of first-year scholars that came in this year. Their rightful places at the top. Last year was the anomaly, as it were. They, they'd won this league four years in a row before that. So that would have been their aim. That would have been their target. They've been pretty excellent for the most part. They deserve to be top. And I don't think it's any surprise that they look like reclaiming what is what they feel to be their title. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a, a whole lot of sense. And, you know, kind of when you speak of the anomaly that existed kind of from last season and this season. Can you talk about maybe some of the, maybe the new continuity with some of those new, you know, new first year scholars and what they've brought to the table for the, for this team and for this side? Yeah, it's quite interesting because typically, I mean, it, it varies from club to club, but you try to have a balance of, of experience and youth within the youth team itself. So some of the second years, 17, 18 year olds, and then your 15 to 16 year olds smattered in. But Chelsea have gone quite youthful quite early with this group. I think they've got a lot of trust in them. Um, they know they've got a lot of potential. And the new coaching staff, which is Ed Brand and James Simmons, uh, a mix of both. Ed has been the assistant manager at this level for a couple of years and takes over in his own right now. While Simmons moved up along with these first-year scholars, he was their coach under 15 and under 16 levels. So there's a shared knowledge of that group, but they also know that they can call on them or rely on them to to raise their game and to to lift Chelsea back to the top. They've been very successful over the last two years, and there's, there's some players in this group who haven't lost a competitive match in well over a year now. Jeez. <laughs> uh, just a casual, yeah, year-long winning streak. Um 
As you look at the table, you know, we just kind of ran down Chelsea, Fulham, West Ham, uh, and Brighton in the top four. Um, do you think that Chelsea have been kind of buoyed by some teams that are having, you know, poor years? Uh, you know, let's look at Arsenal uh, currently on nine points as an example of that. Or is this purely just Chelsea uh, running the table and, and uh, claiming dominance? I mean, by now, everybody's played each other at least once. So there's nothing to say that Chelsea don't deserve to be there. Fulham and Brighton have been very, very good. Um, West Ham have sort of emerged on the periphery of that, but for the most part, it's been Chelsea, Fulham and Brighton. And I think Arsenal and Tottenham, they'll be definitely disappointed with the way that their seasons have gone. They've maybe not got quite the strength in depth that they've had before. There's a few circumstances. Arsenal have got a couple of games in hand that if they can win those, they'll move up into a more respectable position. But Chelsea just need to focus on themselves they drew with Arsenal yesterday as we record this and they'll be disappointed that they weren't able to hold on to a 2-0 lead with 10 minutes to go there and it sort of shows that the points that they've dropped this season have been to Fulham to Brighton and now to Arsenal right so as I kind of look at this right and assuming that as you point that out if Arsenal win their two games in hand they go right up to fifth um, with Tottenham which kind of puts them in the hunt at least Chelsea, Fulham, neighbors, literally. West Ham's not far away. Tottenham and Arsenal, they're not far away. But specifically with Chelsea, Fulham, does this just show how strong of an area that this part of town is? Or is it more on their scouting networks? It's it, There's definitely a lot of talent in and around London and the southeast. And it even shows with Brighton because Brighton's only about an hour's travel from Chelsea's training ground. Uh, I would I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a hotbed of talent because there's pockets and regions of talent all over the country, the northwest, the northeast. There's there's really really good players everywhere, and it's more about how the clubs compete within that region. Um, Chelsea and Fulham will obviously be vying for the same sort of players. They've had players who've come and gone from within each other's academies over the years, but over the last five six years in particular, that where they've been able to recruit has expanded to a national level. So Chelsea can go and get somebody from way down in the foot of the country, Exeter, where they went and got Ampadu from. They can go all the way up to Newcastle if they wanted. Um, so it, the arms race always continues, but it always it's interesting to see how clubs go about it. Brighton, for example, will go and get players from Scotland, from Northern Ireland, and some from Central Europe, which you might not have expected of a, an academy of their calibre five years ago. But... As the arms race goes on, everybody's trying to get stronger. So, so how do you, how do you think we've managed in that arms race period? So I, I know that we've seen a lot of really good scholars come in with this this side, and we'll talk about them as we get a little deeper into the conversation here. But is it banking on the name slash results and performance, or is there maybe anything from a strategic approach that Chelsea have done to? stay a step ahead uh, as teams like Brighton, for example, are starting to think about maybe recruiting a little bit differently? Uh, I think it mainly goes back to the very youngest age groups. Getting the recruitment right at that level goes a long way. You only have to look at the first team this season with Tammy, with Fikayo, with Reese James, Mason Mount. These boys have been at Chelsea since they were six, seven, eight years old. And somebody else pointed out recently that Chelsea haven't actually had an academy graduate from anybody who's come in at the age of 10, 11, 12, 13 for a long, long time now. Um, whether that's coincidence or not is a very long debate for another day, but... <laughs> It's it, it for Chelsea. It really starts at that grassroots regional development centre level, six, seven, eight years old, 
and the exposure to the system of coaching at Cobham rather than going out and trying to sign the best 12, 13, 14 year olds. They will do that. Typically, it'll be as a, a response to a weakness they have in the group or a player that they've lost to somebody else. But for the most part, they, they go in and get their work done really young. Everyone else goes and recruits to try to catch up and raise their standards to the bar that Chelsea has set. Understood. So, I, I mean, I think we look at the at the current performances now. Are there any fixers, Phil, that um, you kind of have earmarked this season as as big results or a performance where the the team has uh, you know played significantly well um, during the match and kind of grown? Yeah, the opening day of the season was quite an important one. It was away to Arsenal, and they were the defending champions. They'd taken Chelsea's title off them last season in the south, and Chelsea went in there with a young team. Arsenal's title-winning generation had moved up to the under-23 level. And Chelsea went in there and won. So they set out their stall from day one to say, right, this is us, we're back, and we're we're coming for you. They've, they're unbeaten since then, obviously. But, I mean, the best 45 minutes football of the season was up at Tottenham in late November, I think it was. They were 5-0 up at half-time. It could have been 10-0. It should have been far more comprehensive than the final 5-3 scoreline because they slacked off a little bit in the second half but that 45 <laughs> minutes of football was incredible they overwhelmed Tottenham in every single regard they te- executed their tactics as well as you could possibly hope for and it was it was the template for exactly what you want to see week in week out you gotta you always gotta love an eight nothing thrashing we got four nothing I mean obviously they you know four one the the team is clearly has a lot of goals in them four three at the shootout with West Ham um I guess, like, talk about the makeup of the team. Is this a team that really plays on the front foot? Because I feel like Lampard's team, he seems more than happy to concede a goal or two if we can put four or five away. Is that the same with these this U18 team? Uh, a little bit. They're, they're very keen to build from a solid defensive base, so they'll be happy that they, they finished 2019 with a, a bunch of clean sheets. They won 8-0 at Swansea. They went looking for goals in that one to try to sort of catch up with Fulham's goal difference in what is a fairly tight race at the top. And they knew that Swansea was a good opportunity to do that. Swansea at bottom of the league. They conceded eight in their previous home game as well. So you can go back and watch the highlights. They've gone five, six nil up and they're fetching the ball out of the back of the net to <laughs> rush it back and try to add to the total. But Chelsea will always score goals at this level because of the level of talent they have in the team. They, The youth team for the last five, six years, they've played a 3-4-3 three, three or a variant of it. And whereas at the senior level, your wing-backs have to be a bit more defensively secure. In academy football, they are auxiliary attackers. So you'll have times where Chelsea will have essentially five forwards on the pitch and they'll just overwhelm teams. We've probably seen a little bit of the, with Flamty making his debut, right? At right back or right wing today? Yeah, exactly. And before him, you had Dujon Sterling. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you've had the likes of Ian Marks and Juan Castillo. And... They they make their name for what they do going forward, and it's the it's a challenge for them as they go forward in their careers to work out whether they're going to be a winger or whether they're going to be a fullback. But in academy football, the wingbacks at Chelsea are so important. They receive so much possession. They they transition through from defence into midfield into attack, and you've seen some of it with the first team because of Morris, Jody Morris, and Joe Edwards' influence in the way when Chelsea play that three four three. It happened to Arsenal. Arsenal were managed to pit to pin those fullbacks. Uh, those wingbacks, sorry, right out on the touchline for that first half an hour, and suddenly Chelsea had nowhere to go with the ball. You know, as I look at the fixture list too, it, it seems to me like there were two, you know, great pivotal tests and then rebound moments, particularly as we went 
you know, 1-0 or, or 1-1 with Brighton away. And then we had our victory at, you know, or not victory, but a draw at home versus Fulham. So our two kind of maybe key contenders that are lagging a little bit behind us, but not by much. Do you feel like those were good, you know, well, well earned draws and then good rebounds to kind of then go on a bit of a win tear after each of them? Or do you feel like we maybe haven't learned enough about how this team responds kind of when they do maybe go down or do have to kind of go up against a tough competition? Because a lot of these matches are maybe more comprehensive from a result perspective than others. Yeah, the, the Fulham game was more instructive from that point of view. They were 1-0 and 2-1 down in that one against a team that were top of the table at the time. So it, it, being able to come back, especially late in the game, they went 2-1 down with about 10 minutes to go and then equalised three minutes later there. So they, they were they were buzzing with that result. Brighton was a little bit more different. It was earlier in the season, I think five or six games in, both teams were 100% until that point. Chelsea were well in charge until they had a player sent off in the later stages and being honest, Brighton should have gone on to win that match. They wasted two really good chances late on. So there's a bit of a balance there, but the Fulham game being more recent and being a bigger challenge um, probably told you more about the, the resolve within the team to, to to stay unbeaten, to stay in the title race, and to protect their home record as well. As we as we kind of look at, you know, I think you know Chelsea obviously in the in the under eighteen Premier League they have the uh, Premier League Cup. Um, they have the now the FA Cup. Um, can you maybe you know? I think the league is probably going to take precedent uh, for them. But can you maybe talk about the other competitions uh, thus far and and how how Chelsea prepare for those? Maybe a little bit differently than they do um, you know for for the league. Yeah, the Youth Cup is the most prestigious tournament. It's the headline tournament and the one that gets all the attention. It'll get the strongest team. the The league sometimes has fallen back a step in that it depends on how Chelsea are going if, they, if they've got a real t- chance of winning the title they'll they'll keep that as strong as they can as, especially under Jody Morris when he won it back-to-back years while winning the Youth Cup as well he was adamant that winning the league was a greater demonstration of the quality of work than winning the Youth Cup because it, it takes the full season as as is the case at any level um, the, the League Cup is viewed by most teams now as an opportunity to rotate the squad and get some minutes into some players who haven't quite had that opportunity, especially in September, October, November during the group stages. If you've managed to advance into the knockouts, you might get serious then, but it, it's a question of the fixture list at that point. It depends if you've got bigger fish to fry or if you've got the depth of talent to go around. I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, cup competitions are always fun to live, but I mean, the league being the best team over many months is, man, that's tough. I always remember like our regular season conference championship was important, um, you know, but we also had an end of season conference tournament champion too. And, you know, they, they were almost equally as important. So it's just, it's kind of funny how even like you were saying, different staff kind of prioritize differently. Um, but yeah, uh, if we can just go ahead and bag them all up, I think that'll be great. That'll be good, <laughs> good, uh, moment of success but phil let's transition into not so much the team but actually some individuals so i'm interested to know who you feel is having a breakout year maybe someone who is punching above expectations or had high expectations and is breaking through even those uh the, uh, when you're unbeaten at this point in this season you've won most of your games there's a lot of players who stood out my personal 
standouts have been the two central midfielders, Lewis Bay and Xavier Simons. They complement each other so well in that midfield. Bates left foot, Simons right foot. Bates a little bit shorter and stockier, but gets around the pitch. Simons uses his strength. He strikes the ball so well. They they balance the team so perfectly. They They get on the ball, they win it back, and then they drive the tactical focus of the team. And... Bate didn't play against Arsenal yesterday because I think he's set to be involved with the development squad against Tottenham on Monday. And I think that's part of the reason why they didn't manage to win it. He gives a control to the team that isn't quite there without him. And he's definitely been my personal favourite in terms of performances so far. Is there a is there a player comparison in the first team that you would you would uh, maybe help our listeners understand his playing style a little bit more? Um, it doesn't really stand out to me. He's... For for people who followed the academy for ten fifteen years, you might remember Connor Clifford, um, who was a similar sort of player, um, quite an engine box to box. Lewis is a left footed version of that. If a comparison doesn't really jump out to me, I don't try to force it. But he's of of Chelsea's midfield. He's closest in style to Kovacic, but I wouldn't say that they're particularly synonymous. All right, yeah, no, that I mean that helps. And look, and what a great pair to have you know, in, in that part of the pitch to be leading the team. I mean, it's such a, a crucial part of the, If you can win the midfield, like your ability to win the match is so much, so much easier. Yeah, definitely. And then they play uh, the, like the aforementioned 3-4-3. Three, three. So they'll have two attacking midfielders that sort of play between the lines. And then it's been Armando Brozier up front. He's got 14 goals for the under-18s and a couple for the other age groups. He's been really impressive for the first half of the season he's just signed his professional contract this past week and is now starting to bridge the gap up to under 23 football because he's arguably too good now for under 18s he's not quite there he's not quite as dominant as the predecessors like Tammy Abraham Dominic Solanke Yike Ogbo um, and he's still got some work to do, but you want to set him the new challenges. So you might not see so much of him at under-18 level moving forward. What would you say has been special about his game this season to earn him that, that move forward, other than just the goals? Because 14 goals obviously makes makes a lot of the case for him, but anything maybe is particular from his playing style or just how he's evolved from last season to this season? Yeah, he's got a much more aggressive mentality. Sometimes you'd see him last year and he wasn't sure of himself. He he only started uh, four or five games from memory or something like that. He scored two goals. It clearly was a challenging year for him, but he came back in a bit of form after a good preseason, some time away with Albania. And he, he just plays with a bit of a meaner streak, like he belongs, like he wants to shoulder the responsibility of scoring goals. He plays with more aggression. He's he's turning into a proper center forward. So with that in mind, so I imagine that, so George Noon is also the other forward with this U18 side. You know, how, how will he maybe shoulder some of the additional responsibility if Broja is going to get that call up to the, the PL2 or the under 23s? Oh, if he gets uh, another run of games, he'll do well because he scored nine or 10 goals last season. He was the first choice ahead of Broja last year and hasn't quite had the same opportunities this time around. He's a different striker. I, I made the comparison to Patrick Bamford last time we spoke. He's not going to win with strength or sheer desire. He's a, a sort of, he's a smarter player. He's movement, he's link-up play. So you'll be looking for more contributions from players getting closer to him to link up rather than playing the traditional target man as Broja is more akin to. Um but none's a good finisher. He's a he's a good player. Just needs a little bit more of a run in the team this second half of the season to find his form again. He scored 
four or five goals already in sort of spot duty and coming off the bench. So I think they, you can be confident he'll score some goals. So kind of touching on that, maybe broadening out to the entirety of the team, you know, I know we kind of highlighted maybe Broja is having a lot of success this season. Is there anyone who's maybe struggling like Noon who hasn't hit stride yet, but you feel confident, you know, with a little bit of a run of games might find their form again? Uh, most players have played well, though. The only one I'd really bring up is Pierre Equa because he's been stop-start through injury. He's a, a second-year defender or midfielder who's who's looked really, really good at times. We signed him from Nantes the summer before last. And as a, as a second year, he's a powerfully built player. He's a, another left-footed player who provides a bit of balance to the team. You wanted to see him come in and assert himself um, as the sort of player who can lead this team, take it upon himself to challenge for minutes at a higher level. But he's been stop-start through injuries. If he can get fit, then they've got a real asset to plug into the midfield at any level moving forward. So uh, one of the, you know, selfishly, I think we have to ask um, about Ethan Wadi, who is obviously an American. And I think uh, we always want to give our audience a little bit of a, an update. Uh, how has he been this season and, and any any crucial updates or things that he might be able to bring uh, to his game in the second half of the year? Yeah, he should probably get some more opportunities later in the season because Lucas Bergstrom looks like he's going to be out for most of it. He's, he injured his knee against, in the warm-up against Ajax back at the end of November, so he's unavailable. Ethan's only played in the League Cup so far, okay, um, which was also the case last season, but he finished last season out on loan in men's football in uh, Tooting and Mitcham which if you've heard of them, well done. <laughs> they, they play in the English seventh tier or something like that. So he, he was out there getting experience that a lot of goalkeepers his age don't get. And I think you've seen him come back this year. He's physically matured. He's he looks He's the most physically imposing goalkeeper this under-18 team has. He hasn't quite had the playing time. But again, because Bergstrom's out and uh, you can't rely on Jake Askew for every game, this season you'll, you'll see where to get a few games and I think he'll do himself justice uh, I, I'm always intrigued by goalkeepers who go out and get pro experience at the age of 17 because it's quite an unforgiving thing to do and it can help you grow up really fast um, Nathan Baxter did it several times uh, Jared Thompson did it it's something Chelsea liked to get their goalkeepers into and I think I think there's something there it's hard to say because you haven't seen a lot of him but I'd be confident that he's 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 going to show something. I know that you specialize on on our academy, but have you seen that strategy of of sending those younger goalkeepers out for professional experience across the academy sides or the the you know the PL two or the under eighteen sides across England, or is this something that maybe Chelsea have done? a little differently and earlier than some of the other clubs it's definitely growing Chelsea probably weren't the first to do it Reading have been doing it for a long time they've they've had goalkeepers going off to to local clubs or clubs in the southwest Bath City and, and the likes um, Fulham have started doing it over the last few years as well and it's it makes sense because the biggest criticism of academy football as far as goalkeepers are concerned is that there's no physical contact Clubs, teams don't cross in the air. They don't play the same way that you play at senior level in terms of aggression and command of your penalty area and that sort of test. And even the little details like Nathan Baxter spoke about when he was out on loan that academy football is, is nice, pristine pitches. You're passing out to your defenders all match. You're not kicking it long. You go out and play in non-league football or in the pro game, you've got to kick it long 10, 15, 20 times a game. That requires its own training you you have to condition yourself to kick long 
more than you ever have before. It's it's those small details that you learn when you go out there. Look, from a goalkeeper standpoint, uh, it, it in-game experience is so much more valuable and important than for a field player. A field player can much easier transition from training to a game than a goalkeeper can. So um, for him to go get minutes in a live situation at any level is going to be valuable for him. Um, did you, where did you say he went on loan to? He was at Tootingham Mitcham, which is a part-time non-league team in South London. So they're not very far from Cobham. So he would he would have been training with Chelsea in the week and then he would have linked up with them a day or two before a match because they won't be training full time. From San Jose, California to Tuttingham and Mitchum. <laughs> the live in the yeah. dream, Ethan. Good for him. Um, all right. Well, I obviously we have to skew into any American perspective we can get. So thank you so much for that, Phil, uh, for <laughs> pandering to us. Um, I guess... As we look ahead to the rest of the season, uh, we love predictions because we're so good at them, Phil, in case you've forgotten. Um, <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> what, how do you think this team is going to finish? Are they going to run the table? Are they going to you know, take home the league? Any other trophies so. maybe? League Cup or the Youth Cup? I think they'll win the South League. That's um, something I'm very confident in. Whether they win the national title depends on who they play from the Northern Champions and then depends where the match is. It's a, it'll be a, a, a toss of a coin as to whether it's home or away. It'll be against Manchester City or Liverpool probably. And then if it's City, I think Chelsea might be slight underdogs, but they'd fancy themselves. Um, Liverpool, I think they'd probably be favourites. The League Cup, it, it depends. They've, they've got Newcastle away in the quarterfinals at the end of January. I think they should win that. And then it's it's basically a two-game shootout as to whether they win. They're the Youth Cup, I think they're going well. They beat Huddersfield in the third round. They've got Bradford City at home in the fourth round, which, again, you'd fancy them to win. Bradford managed to knock out Stoke in the last round, so they're, they're no mugs themselves. But Chelsea are at home against uh, a team from outside of the top two categories. They should come through that. Again, luck of the draw. If yeah. you manage to, if you run into a Manchester United or a Manchester City really early in the competition, it becomes a lot harder. What uh, what is that playoff of, for the national title? Is that just winner of South versus winner of North one match? Yeah, exactly that. So when they won the title um, at the end of 2018, um, to 2017 2018 season, they played Manchester United. They won the North section. Chelsea won the South. Chelsea had to go up to Manchester to play the final of that, and they won it three nil. Um, and the same structures in place right now. Uh, why? Why would you say maybe City would kind of maybe have the slight edge? Is it just the the players? Maybe the play style, how they play relative to us, might provide us a bit of a challenge. It's because or... they have Pep Guardiola, Dan. Duh. Uh, he doesn't coach the U18s, Brandon. <laughs> I think they've got more depth, especially up front. the The potential forward line that they could put out at any under eighteen level is is frightening. Uh, I mean, that has been the case before. They've They've had the likes of Jaden Sancho and Phil Foden lose Youth Cup finals against Chelsea, so there's no guarantees that they could they they come in and easily beat Chelsea. I just think the way that City have played looks rather imperious. Are there, is their play style similar to their first team as far as that like heavy possession, 
um, where he kind of pushes his wing wing or his outside backs almost up as other forwards. And, you know, the, the, you know what I'm talking about. Do they play very similar to City or are they more of kind of a different approach to the game? They try throughout their academy to adopt the same ethos. There'll be differences based on the players that they have available to them, but they play the same formation. They have the players try to adopt the same roles and for the most part, they, they do that very well. Man, I'd hate to uh, be tasked with replicating De Bruyne in that academy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, Dan, I think we have one last question, or prediction. We got we to get some more on the record here. Well, yeah, I think we'd like to know who do we think would be the player of the season for the, for the U18s here, based upon everything we know today. We always heard a couple names there. We had Lewis Bate come up. We had Simmons come up. We talked about Broja. Is there anyone else who might kind of pop into that list, or do you think the the finalists would be among those three? Uh, you could probably put Joe Haig in there as well. He's had a really good year. Um, he's a, a first-year, 16-year-old attacking midfielder. Very, very easy on the eye to watch. He's got a little bit of Azard about him in that he's small and slight, but you can't knock him off the ball. He doesn't have Azard's ample posterior, but <laughs> oh, you took my follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's very composed. He's a very good, uh, very very good player. He's adding goals to his game this season. But I think Lewis Bate is still the overwhelming favorite to be the player of the season. Uh, I just had a random question, um, and maybe this fits in better with the U23s too. But you know, most of these players in in the U18s, they're almost all English, right? At what point? do you start to see more international players come in or is this just the way Chelsea have decided to set up their academy? Well, you're technically not allowed to sign players from Did we get in overseas. trouble for that recently? Maybe too soon. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but in, yeah, it, in general, you're technically not meant to. Um, some players will move for other reasons. Jeremy Boga came to Chelsea as a, a 12 year old. He wasn't affiliated to a club. Chelsea, found him in in Marseille his family moved over so it's one of those things that there's there's a few gray areas every club is pushing the limits as much as they can but it's really at the age of 15 and 16 where you can start to recruit internationally right so maybe so even though this is the U18 team it's still pretty limited maybe as we transition to the U23s in the next episode it'll start to become maybe a little bit more international yeah although Chelsea will still be predominantly English uh-huh. uh, even at those age groups they don't sign players from elsewhere too often okay what you what you tend to see is they they come in at the age of 16 to sign scholarships and it's usually only if they're an outstanding talent or if they've lost a player surprisingly and need to go out and find somebody else awesome uh, Nick, anything else you want to follow up with the U18s? No, I guess, I guess the, the only question I would have, and, and you know, I think just as a general point of perspective for audience, Phil, would be, you know, only a certain amount of players are going to kind of make the, the the step up or the next jump to the U23s. How does that process usually work? Um, and and you know, obviously, you've kind of named some of the of the top stars this year that that could make that jump, but. How um how many do you think will make it from the U18s to U23s on average? The, the odds are against pretty much everybody. The um, it depends on who's in charge of the first team at any given time. It depends on the ethos of the club. You, it's, you'd probably say that if anybody other than Frank Lampard was in charge of the season, you wouldn't have seen the graduates that we've seen already. 
So if, if Lampard's here for the long haul for five, ten years, then several of these players have got a real, real chance. But if not, if the club moves in another direction, they've still got the ability to play at a high level, whether it's at Chelsea or whether it's elsewhere. All right, Dan, any other things you would like to add in? No, I'm just I'm excited for the Chelsea U18s to be the champions of England again. So that's Ooh, a, it's a wonderful thing. I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, I'm going to leave this a little bit of teaser. We're going to ask Phil in the next episode as we get to U23 is, what are, when are we going to see a sweep at all levels of league titles? Uh, so you have that to look forward to. I'm also giving Phil a heads up so he can run some numbers and <laughs> try to come <laughs> up with an answer. But Phil, thank you so much uh, for uh, hanging out, walking through the U18s. Uh, I think this should spark a lot of interest in you fans out there to, A, if you're not already, follow at Chelsea Youth on Twitter. Uh, B, when you can... Follow the matches as best you can. Follow the results. Uh, we have uh, a good a little a good amount of chatter in our Discord server. So if you want to be a part of that, obviously you can join through Patreon. But just pay attention. This is a really exciting time, as you can tell from Phil, uh, as far as where they're in the league, where their play styles are, and it's the future of Chelsea. As you just heard from, you know, Lampard's going to be around for a while. This is going to be a huge pipeline for of talent for the club. So. Uh, anyways, part two coming up. It'll be the U23s and the PL2 side. Much more of this amazing content, so check it out then. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.